When God was instructing his people about how to construct the furniture for the tabernacle, they couldn't have known what every detail meant. As Pastor Daniel will tell us today, each object is specific in its purpose, which is to point to the Savior Jesus. We can't always know what God's plans are as we go through life, but we can be sure that He will be faithful to us. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, God's Custom Furniture. We made it about nine verses, nine verses last week. And I did that because I wanted to make sure that we had a lot of uh, preliminary information in this last series in the book of Exodus about the tabernacle, the tabernacle which became the, the precursor, the mobile version of what the temple would become. And so if you recall last week, and I'm not going to go over all of it again, there was three main principles that we saw. First, in verse 2, that all the giving should be voluntary and not forced. That the giving should be voluntary and not forced. Now, because the giving should be voluntary and not forced, and we talked about this, doesn't mean that just because we don't feel like it, should we not do it? And we'd spent a lot of time talking about that, that giving of our time, our talents, our treasures, our resources, it's all a hard issue. And as Christians, Jesus gave, he gave his life. And we are called to model that in the way that we live. We live in a culture that is exceedingly self-serving, exceedingly for all of us. We all, even as believers, we still live in a culture that it's all about you. Everything is user-driven. You do what you want. Choose your own adventure. And that might be great, in a sense, for a culture, but that's not really God's way, because God says, give up yourself and live for Him. And as you live for Him, you live for others. So the giving should be voluntary, not forced. Next, of course, in verse 8, the focus is, he says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So the tabernacle is all about God wanting to dwell in the midst of the people. To dwell in the midst of the people. God's intention was never to be distant from the people. You think about when God created Adam and Eve. They had unbroken fellowship with God. And it wasn't until they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they were banished from Eden. Paradise was lost. 
And we all have been experiencing the effects of that our entire lives. I don't know how many times recently I find myself saying to people when they share about the things going on in their lives, I keep reminding people, listen, we didn't break it. It was broke when we got here. We're experiencing the effects of a broken system. And that's exactly why Jesus came to live a perfect life and to die, to begin to restore what was forfeited long ago. And if you think about Jesus, remember Jesus said, if you destroy the temple, I'll I'll rebuild it in three days. Because the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us in John chapter 1, verse 14. He tabernacled among us. That's what the actual word means. Eugene Peterson, in, in his paraphrase called The Message, said, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. It's a great way to translate the, the idea of what Jesus did. And really, the tabernacle is a foreshadowing. God saying, look, I don't want to just dwell on the mountain, and you're scared of me. I want to move into the neighborhood. I want a place where we can interact right where you live. That's a big thing for us here at Crossroads. We're always talking about Jesus at street level. And it's true, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what's going on in your life, if you turn to Jesus, he's right there with you because Jesus is real. He's at street level, your street level, right where you are. And that's the way Jesus meets with people. You don't have to get to another street, another place. You just simply need to turn and respond to Jesus. He's right there for you at street level. That's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the biblical God who we trust. And then, of course, third, and we get to it in verse 9, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all of its furnishings, just so you shall make it. So finally, and third, obedience is necessary to carry out God's master plan. God is very interested in the details. Very, very interested in the details. And we're going to start looking at all the details now. And what's interesting is he's going to give all the details. They're going to have a few chapters where we look at the children of Israel stumbling and fumbling as they worship the golden calf. And then chapters 35 to 40, we're going to find that they actually did everything that they were asked to do. So for us, obedience is an important concept. Jesus spoke about it. It's all through the Bible. And God has a plan. He has a plan. God's into the details. So now, picking up in verse 10, I've called this message God's custom furniture. Because really, that's what we're finding. God, he has the people meeting with him in this mobile tent, and God actually designs custom furniture. He was looking at the decor of what he wanted, and everything to the detail. God said, this is what I want. This is how big I want it. This is the materials I want. With it. So really, God is a great interior designer. And every single detail is there for the people. And what's interesting is almost all of these things point right to Jesus. And I'm going to try and explain it to you as we go. So look at what happens in verse 10. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length. A cubit and a, and a half its width. And a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold, inside and out, you shall overlay it, and shall make on it a molding of gold all around. Verse 12. And you shall cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on the one side, and two rings on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood, 
and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the ring of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I will give you. Verse 17, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. And you shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. Verse 21. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. From between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I give you in commandment to the children of Israel. Now, it's interesting that the very first piece of custom furniture that God starts with is the most precious, the ark of the covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. Now, we're going to get to a lot of this. It's, it, it comes a little bit later. But the way the tabernacle is laid out is there's an outer court where anybody could come. Then, in the tent, there is what's called the holy place, where only the priests could go. And then there's a veil. And then there's what's called the holy of holies, where the only person who was allowed to go there was the high priest, one time a year, with a sacrifice for his own atonement and for the people. That was the day of Yom Kippur. Now, what's interesting is the Ark of the Covenant is the one piece of furniture that is in the Holy of Holies. So God begins with, in the tabernacle, that which is most precious, that which is people have the least access to. So the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what's interesting as you start is that it's an Ark of acacia wood. So right away, he begins with, this is the wood that I want, right? And then he starts to explain it. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. Now, a cubit, you realize here, you know, we use yards and inches. You go to other places, they use centimeters and things. A cubit was a, a very classic measurement. It was the distance between the tip of your middle finger to the crook of your elbow, it was commonly about a foot and a half. So this ark, this box, so to speak, was three and three quarter feet long by two and a quarter feet wide and high. Okay? So it's about three by two by two. Right? Now, you say, well, what's the Ark of the Covenant? You can go Google and look at pictures, but you have to remember that the Ark of the Covenant was most likely lost. No one has ever taken a picture of it. And even if you like Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost, Lost Ark, you guys remember that? Back in the day, those of you older folks, for you younger folks, if you want to go retro, go back and watch it. Where Indiana Jones, he was like um, Nicolas Cage in those movies where he's like the conspiracy guy and he's going, he was that before Nicolas Cage was that. 
National treasure, yeah. So Indiana Jones was the national treasure guy before the national treasure guy. He went looking. He went looking for the Ark of the Covenant. Indiana Jones, remember the Nazis got their faces? Never mind. Those of you who, I grew up on that stuff. But no one has a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. So there's lots of artistic renderings. We don't really know. We don't really know. When the first temple was destroyed, 586, 587, depending on who uh, gives you the date, when the Babylonians destroyed Solomon's temple, the ark was gone and no one's seen it since. No one's seen it since. So it's not there. You, you can't find an actual picture of it. But it's three by two by two. It's overlaid with pure gold, both inside and outside. So this, think about this. It's made of wood. It's got gold on the inside and the outside. Completely overlaid. Not only that, there's a molding of gold around it. So this is, makes it more ornate. Not only that, there are four rings of gold for it. One on each corner, it says in verse 12. Two rings on one, two rings on the other side. And poles that are made of wood also overlaid of gold. So you get what this is. This is all gold. This is blinged out for God. There's gold everywhere. The rings and the poles. Why? Remember, this is mobile. This was mobile. This was going to move around. And so God wanted the whole thing, gold inside and outside. Okay? Now what's interesting about this is in verse 16 it says, And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I will give you. So the testimony, which is the two tablets of stone, the ten words, the ten commandments that God writes with his finger that Moses is going to bring down. He's going to break it when the children of Israel are dancing around the golden calf. We'll get there. And then God gives him another one. He wants the law inside this box made of pure gold. Now, notice what it says in verse 17. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width. Now, this idea of the mercy seat. By translating it as a mercy seat, it's not bad. It has a long history. But the word mercy seat is an interpretation, not necessarily a translation. They call it a mercy seat. Tyndale did it when he first started translating the Bible into English. Luther grabbed hold of it in German. It, it filtered right down into, of course, the King James Bible. And we have it here in the New King James. Some of your other translations have other words. But the idea is it's a covering. It's a lid. The mercy seat is a lid. And that's where the idea of atonement comes from. It's the, it's the thing that covers. That's what atonement means. Atonement means to cover, to bring back into unity. That's what it means. So it's interesting that all this thing about the box, a lot of energy is put into the lid, the cover, the atoning cover, the covering that goes over it. Notice... Notice this. It's created, it's pure gold, and there are two cherubim on it. Notice verse 18, verse 19. These two cherubim were a type of angelic being. So cherub is a singular. Cherubim, if you I am on the end of a word, means plural. That's why you guys have heard of Elohim. It's one of the, one of the Hebrew words for God. It, it denotes plurality in Hebrew. I am makes something plural. That's what, that's how Hebrew works. So cherubim, it's two cherub. 
So it's like if you have kid and kids, we put an S on the end. I am, that's how it is in Hebrew. So these two angels, they're made of one piece of, of hammered gold. They're facing each other and their wings are touching. Okay? So all this information, the lid becomes extraordinarily important. Now, why is the lid important? Look at verse 22. And there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. You see that? God's going to speak to them from the mercy seat. God's going to speak to them from this atonement cover. Now, so this is a box. Everything's gold. The lid, gold, two angels, their wings are touching, facing each other. And into that box, the Ark of the Covenant, God says, I want you to put the two tables of stone. Know what else God asked him to put in over time? He asked him to put in a little jar with some of the manna that fell from heaven. He asked him also to put in Aaron's rod that budded. We're going to get to all this. Now think about this. In this box is God's law. In this box is the bread from heaven. And in this box is, remember what happened when Aaron's rod budded, and we'll get to this in a bunch of months. There was a rebellion against Moses and Aaron's leadership. A lot of people said, why is Moses and Aaron leading us? We could do it just as well. So God said, I want everyone to take their staff. I want you to put it. I want you to put it in the tabernacle. And whichever one of those staffs blossoms overnight, that's who my leader is. And sure enough, they came in the next day and Aaron's rod budded. This was God's chosen leader. All of this is inside this box that has this atoning cover with the angels. Who does all of this point to? To Jesus. Jesus is the only person in history who kept God's law in his heart, in motivation and action. Only person. The only person who's taken every single commandment, both in action and motivation and intention, and honored God. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your father ate miraculous bread in the wilderness and they died. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have everlasting life. Jesus is the bread of life. Even though the children of Israel, a lot of them rejected the authority and position of Jesus, Jesus is still the rod that budded. He was still, even though people said, I don't want this man to rule over me, he is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And don't miss the fact, in John's gospel, remember when they looked in the tomb, how many angels were sitting there over that slab where Jesus' body was laid? There was two angels in there. And John goes so far to say that there was one on each side. And this is the one place that once a year to make atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. Once a year, the high priest could go in and take the blood of that offering and put it where? On the mercy seat, on the cover. 
that high priest once a year would go in with blood to make atonement, to look for forgiveness for the children of Israel. You imagine when those guys looked into that tomb, Jesus' body no doubt was blood-soaked after his, the ordeal of the lashes and the cross. That slab that his body was laid on, no doubt blood went through onto that slab. And they looked in, they saw the blood on the slab with the two angels. And no doubt one of those guys were like, whoa. Don't miss either that when Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the veil in the temple? It was ripped from the top down. All the priests who were in the temple at that point looked into the Holy of Holies. They'd never seen it before except for the high priest. Because Jesus is saying, I'm opening the doors to my presence. Not just the high priest, one chosen guy of a certain family. Anybody can come. And the Ark of the Covenant points right to who? Jesus. Because Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. That's why when John the Baptist saw Jesus walk, he said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why is Jesus the Lamb of God? Because he is the sacrificial lamb that was offered for the sins of the people. This was always in the heart of God. By placing all of these, this custom furniture together, God's pointing to his own son. Oh, and don't miss, this whole thing's gold. What did they bring to a baby with his parents when he was born? Jesus. Gold. Gold has always been symbolic of kings. Some of you are like, hey, I feel like a king. I got a cougarand. But gold has always been the currency of kings. Always. Always. This whole thing's gold. Because the Ark of the Covenant points right to Jesus. And don't miss verse 22. And there I will meet with you. And I will speak with you. The book of Hebrews begins in various times. God spoke through the prophets. But now he speaks to us through who? Through Jesus. Jesus is the new and better ark of the covenant. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. Jesus is the one through whom God speaks. And what's interesting is I talk to people all the time. I love to share the gospel with people. People say, well, I don't understand. Why does it have to be Jesus? I'm like, well, because God chose it to be through Jesus. People say, I believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. I'm like, well, then you don't believe in God. Because Jesus said, if you believe in God, you believe in me. And the reason I think people could hold to these beliefs is they actually have never thought about what Jesus said or even read it. Most people don't believe in Jesus because they've actually never taken the time to read the words of the wisest man who ever lived. We can read all sorts of things. Magazines, they're fun. The newspaper, internet posts, it's all fun. Blogs, whatever you like. But how silly is it to neglect the wisest person who ever lived? The person by whom we date our calendar. Every single discipline, academic discipline, at some point reverse to Jesus. Everyone comes back to it. All the humanities, philosophy, psychology, sociology, anthropology. Jesus is real. As we began reading about the interior of the tabernacle, we heard about the intricacies and meaning of each piece of the ark. The lid was symbolic of God's covering of the people, his atonement for them. This box pointed to Jesus, the bread of life. 
Giving is one of the central themes in the Bible. Believe it or not, it's the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus taught. Like prayer and serving others, money is an outlet of spiritual power. When it's released into ministry, God does amazing things with it. To understand what it means to be a Christ follower, we must also understand what it means to be a giver. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly supporter of Jesus is Real Radio. For more information, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thanks, Josh. Pastor Daniel would like to invite you to join him each day on Facebook for his two-minute messages. Pastor Daniel shares from his heart and God's Word in a way that will impact your life. It's the perfect way to inject a little bit of Jesus into your routine. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links to the two-minute messages. Now, here's Josh with a preview of what Pastor Daniel will be covering in the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share more about the table of the showbread, a fascinating look at how this furniture illustrates our fellowship with the Father, the bread of life for all of His chosen people, Jesus. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series entitled Tabernacle. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.